Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with How Stuff Works and iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. And it's time for another classic episode of Tech Stuff. This episode originally aired on August 8, 2012. It is titled Tech Stuff Hacks the Connect. And this is all about the Microsoft Connect, the peripheral for the Xbox platform. And uh, back in 2012, that was still a thing. It's largely not a thing. I'll talk more about that at the end of this episode. But in the meantime, let's rejoin young Jonathan Strickland and his plucky co-host, Chris Paulette, as they talk about the Connect. Jonathan and I had been talking about uh, things that you can do with other things. Yeah. Uh, okay, that was a little oversimplified. Uh, basically, existing technologies that could be repurposed for other means. We thought it would be fun to talk about uh, uh, a series of different kinds of technologies too, not just uh, not just say uh, game controllers like the Kinect. Um, so you know, this is one of those that, w- that we're doing, and we thought uh, this one in particular made an interesting topic because uh, so many people have. Uh, repurposed Microsoft's um, motion-sensitive controller. Um, And it's uh, um, actually for very simple reasons. It's really inexpensive compared to other ways to do this. In fact, this is very, very readily available. This is something that we've talked about this in a previous episode, really, because back when we were talking about virtual reality. Yeah. Virtual reality, uh, you know, for a while, that was like the darling phrase in technology in the late 90s. Do you remember that era where you could shoot the pterodactyl and get incredibly dizzy due to latency issues? And the, the funny thing about virtual reality is it still exists, but the phrase has yeah. become so dated and associated with that big headgear and the giant gloves that yeah. you had to be wired into or the holodeck on there's a Star stigma Trek. there yeah there's a stigma there and and it, the ideas uh have become much more refined but they're sort of uh augmented reality or just reality virtual, virtual environments sometimes virtual environments but yeah the uh the connect is is one of those things that sort of uh bridge the gap between the real world and what you see on the computer or on the tv right and like you said it's it's readily available and it's inexpensive that was the big problem that virtual environment scientists and 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 pioneers were running into is the fact that they could build the software but designing the hardware was a lot more difficult because you're talking about an incredibly expensive process to prototype something and then build out a a, a working uh, version of it, and then go into mass production. If you ever want to go beyond just a laboratory experiment, yeah. that's that's hard to do. And so, virtual environment folks often end up looking to the world of video games to to repurpose the equipment that is made as just a form of entertainment, so that they can use it in their own projects. So we've seen this with things like the Wii controller, uh, the Sony Move controller, as well as the Kinect. It's one of those very easy-to-get-your-hands-on pieces of technology. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, those early, uh, those early devices required you to uh, put on glasses or wear a helmet that had a display that you could see so that you knew what you were doing in this virtual world. Uh, you had to have some kind of something on your body, uh, often gloves or some kind of sensors that would relay information to 
the computer generating this virtual world. Yeah, usually it'd be a combination of something you were holding or wearing, plus the, the head-mounted display would have some tracking in it as well for head tracking. And, and in some cases, uh, you'd have to be on some kind of virtual uh, environment, too. You'd have to be on a treadmill or something that would track your movements or would make it seem like you were walking in this virtual environment. And as you can imagine, this is all really expensive. Um, the newer systems that that uh, we use now are use infrared or uh, or cameras, regular cameras to capture where you are. They map out the room. They know they know what's going on in in your actual physical environment where you are, and um, you don't have to necessarily be. Uh, wired in like you used to be. A lot of it's also um, using Bluetooth or, or Wi-Fi to communicate. Uh, makes life so much more easy. Right. And plus, we're talking about and consoles cheap. that are much more powerful than, oh, yeah. than the computers were back in the old, you know, even in the days when people were building virtual environments and they're mm-hmm. building those first applications. The consoles that we have today are in many ways, comparable or sometimes superior to the equipment that they were using back then. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the the Connect, what makes it work, and how it is able to detect uh, depth. Which okay. is, I mean, that's the that's the key to many of the Connect hacks is the fact that the Connect is able to map out a 3D virtual environment based upon a physical space. Mm-hmm. Uh, thankfully, I found a, a really cool diagram in uh, an article by Jason Tans called Connect Hackers Are Changing the Future of Robotics. Um, it, the Connect is a wired device, mm-hmm. um, but attached to that wire are some actually pretty simple electronics. Um, it's got an array of microphones. Right. It's got um, a video camera. A video camera. A color camera, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got uh, an infrared emitter. Yes, which I will explain what that does in a minute. Um, and a sensor as well to yep. pick up what that emitter is, uh, the the reflections of that of the, the stuff that the emitter is spreading out. Yep, yep. It's also got a depth camera. Which yep, uh, that's, essentially creates a map of of the room, mm-hmm. and it's got a series of uh, well, it's got a tilt motor in it. Yeah, to to allow the device itself to change its own uh, perspective, really. Yes, which is very useful in lots of different applications. Also, so you can get go connect and it goes hmm, so, sort of like a dog. It's sort of okay. No, it doesn't. How can the connect <laughs> detect? Uh-huh, uh, a three dimensional environment. So right. you know, with a three D camera, the way we would normally make a 3D movie is that you would have a camera that would have two sets of lenses set uh, apart from one another in such a way so that two different sets of images could be combined uh, in that so when we watch it our brains do the work and put it all together and it makes the illusion of 3D right, right. It, the, the two cameras are spaced about the average width uh, of a human eye, right? Uh, so that that it creates that illusion of depth because it it takes uh, two images um, set apart and about that width, and it makes us believe, it makes our brains think that it's in three D, right? Right, and each each set Pretty of cool images stuff, really. goes to one of our eyes, right? So that's why people who have vision problems with one eye or uh, would often have difficulty perceiving a three D film. Because for it to really work, both eyes have to receive their individual sets of information. That's why 3D glasses are the way they are. It's to filter out the other set of images so that 
only one set goes to each eye. Yeah. Well, that's not how the Kinect does this. No. The Kinect has that emitter and the uh, sensor or the, the depth camera to do this. And and what's going on is that imagine that you've got uh, your your uh, living room setup, okay? And you've got your Kinect connected to your Xbox 360. So imagined. All right. So you're standing in front of the Kinect. How does the Kinect tell that you are a three-dimensional person. Because remember, when a regular video camera, you're getting a flattened image. Yeah. That's that's the real problem with, with a, a basic camera is that it flattens everything out. It does not detect depth. You know, right. Mm-hmm. It, the only cue we have visually is essentially the uh, 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 perspective, Yeah. which is why in the Lord of the Rings movies, when you had characters standing really far away from characters who were really close to the camera, that created the forced perspective Illusion that one character was larger significantly than another character. Mm-hmm. Uh, happens all the time in films. Well, the way the Kinect gets around this is that emitter, that ion, uh, infrared emitter, sends out essentially a grid mm-hmm. that is made up of infrared light. Now, we cannot see infrared light, so we do not perceive this, right? Right. It's, it's outside the visible spectrum for human beings, unless you're an elf or a dwarf from Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, in which case you might be able to see this. But you're probably not playing Xbox if you're one of those, unless it's Skyrim. Anyway, so the this grid gets projected over the physical environment. Right. Well, when the grid encounters a physical object, it's deformed. The, mm-hmm. the grid itself is deformed, not the object. The object stays the same. Otherwise, we would have a lot more to talk about with the Connect. So the grid deforms when it contacts, comes into contact with a physical object. The depth camera measures the, the, the deformities that are within this grid and can interpret that as objects that are a certain distance from the Connect. Yep. So as it tracks the changes in these deformities, it detects player movement. So when you move your arm, that grid is going to change and the depth sensor is going to to, to uh, capture those changes, send that information to a processor, which then interprets those changes as various commands. So, for example, if it's a game where you shove your hand out in order to make a, uh, a character shoot a gun, mm-hmm. then what happens is the uh, the grid will be deformed as your hand goes closer to the camera on the or the to the infrared emitter really from the connect that grid deforms in a certain way the depth sensor camera detects it and then sends the appropriate command or the or the data to the processor which processes the appropriate command for the game so that's the basics behind the depth sensing technology of the Kinect. There are a lot of other sensors out there that use similar technology. Not all of them are using that grid approach because one of the um, downsides to this is that the closer you get to the camera, the less accurate this depth sensing technology is because the grid is of the, – the squares within that grid are a certain size. Mm-hmm. So as you get closer and closer, you are deforming less of the grid with uh, your various movements because your your movements are taking place more within the empty space of the box as opposed to the various intersecting lines. Right. If that makes any sense. No, it does. Um, and uh, it, it's funny because this this technology is – we think about it. This, desi- this technology is designed to be used in the living room. Yeah. As part of a game system, um, it's it's designed to be inexpensive so people can afford it. 
but still to be sophisticated. Um, and that's why um, – and it was designed by Microsoft, which is why people want to hack it. Yeah. Um, actually, I, th- I think that's probably a lesser reason, but maybe yeah, a, a motivating factor I, for I, some people. I, yeah. I think – I think the motivating factor is mainly that it's a cool technology that can do a lot of stuff, but the fact that Microsoft is the one behind it may give some people a little extra motivation. That, that yeah, that's that that uh, slightly turned up smile that I've no. got right now. Um, no, it's it's available in many many places. Right. Um, and uh, you know that's that's sort of what provided the impetus for uh, sort of a competition to see who could hack into it first and make sense of the the uh, communications. Right. So the Connect launched officially on November fourth, twenty ten. Right. And then immediately Not even there was two years ago now, yeah. as of when we're recording this. Right. And immediately there was this this challenge issued. It was like a bounty essentially for the first people to to really hack the uh, the Connect. Microsoft, uh, the initial reaction from the company was negative. The The company officials of, uh, originally, when news was breaking about people trying to hack the Kinect, said that they were, uh, they were not in favor of people modifying their products. And in fact, they would work with law enforcement officials to try and keep people from tampering with the Kinect. Yes, but at at that point, you, if you think about it, uh, the the Xbox 360 had been out before um, before Nintendo's Wii system, and a lot of people had dismissed the Wii as being a lightweight. Uh, didn't have high def, uh, you know, not not full 1080 high def. Right, and and it, uh, and it was seen as a game system for casual gamers, which yeah. among amongst a certain subset of hardcore gamers that has a stigma mm-hmm. right for a hardcore gamer for some not all because i'm a hardcore gamer in many ways but i don't share this particular opinion but for some hardcore gamers they view it as it's not a quote unquote real gaming system because it doesn't cater to their particular gaming preferences right right and uh, you know we've talked about this on on multiple podcasts so i don't want to get into it in in great depth um but uh i think that uh the success of the Wii's control system using the motion wireless motion control system uh surprised both sony and microsoft uh, and then Microsoft was the first to come out with its own upgrade to the, the 360, which, you know, wasn't actually the 360. It was actually the Kinect itself. Um, and we, we heard about this um, as Project Natal uh, back in the, in the early days of the system. But then they released the Kinect, and it was immensely successful from mm-hmm. the get-go as right. far as the, the Xbox 360 because it gave you all kinds of new ways to interact with the system and the games it, it sold like hotcakes. It became the fastest uh, fastest ever selling device. I believe so. Yeah, I think, um, it, I think it broke all the records at the time of its release. Now, I should add that before we get a ton of uh, listener mail and responses to this, there have been some criticisms about the Microsoft support of the Connect, saying that perhaps there aren't quite as many games to support the device as people would prefer. Sure, but. It's still been an incredible resource for hackers. Yes. So, and so maybe not as much for hardcore video gamers. Although there are some great Connect games out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that some connect, some people say like, okay, well, the added benefit of the Connect uh, hasn't really been fully realized in the game space. Right. But it is. It's an incredible tool for hackers. Yeah. Microsoft. Microsoft came out with a really nifty. 
device in the Kinect. And the only reason I mentioned that bit of background was um, I think it may have played into their, Microsoft's response to the hacker community doing this. Um, because, yeah, as Jonathan m- mentioned a moment ago, they said, no, we this is a proprietary device. We do not want anybody mucking around with it and hacking it. It is designed for the Xbox 360. And then... A very short time later, yeah. like basically, they had the weekend to think about it. It was it, so. So it launched on November fourth. Uh huh. They shortly after launch discussed the idea of we do not want people hacking with this. Yes. But on November nineteenth, there a very was short period of time. Right. There was a, a, a there was a developer for the Connect who specifically said that they left the Connect open by design. Mm-hmm. It was meant to be a hackable device, and Microsoft got behind that at that point. I think, I think in part they saw what the public opinion was, and you know they they probably also learned from other companies, mis- maybe not mistakes, but their approaches to this same sort of thing. Yeah, like here, a famous one, Sony's PS3. Yes, the original run of the PS3 allowed you to uh, to load up a Linux-based operating system to the PS3, turning it into a very powerful computer. Yeah. And if you got a whole bunch of them together, you could make essentially what was equivalent to a supercomputer running on this uh, alternate operating system. But then in later iterations of the PS3, later models, Sony removed that. They First, they began to send out patches to the firmware so that it would prevent you from loading in that operating system on the older models. Right. And then the newer models just had no support for it at all. And Sony caught a lot of flack from a lot of different hackers and and computer scientists saying, you've just taken away a tool that was incredibly powerful and affordable that would have done a lot of good. And now we can't do that anymore, including the military. The military was using yeah. PS3s as well in this case. Yeah, because so, they were they were inexpensive compared to the other kinds of supercomputer, quote unquote, supercomputer um, material or hardware that they were looking into. Yeah, um, and it was easy to do, and so, and, and that's why uh, the hacker community, with Microsoft's now blessing, yeah, they've said, you know, okay, let's do this. Yeah, and I think, boy, have they? I think, yeah, I think the, I think Microsoft realized. They said, you know, this is, first of all, it's a losing battle because hackers are going to hack. Second of all, it's better, it's a better PR move if we support it than if we don't. And third, they may have just, again, they may have just honestly rethought it and and came to the conclusion of. This makes way more sense. First of all, we're going to sell way more connects if we actually support this community. And, yeah. and and you never know what can come out of it. And some phenomenal stuff has come out of the hacking community. And uh and some of it came out almost immediately. Like like within within a couple of weeks of the connect becoming a product that you could actually buy off the store shelf and bring it home, you started seeing some really innovative hacks. Using it, yeah. Now, uh, also, uh, just as a mitigating factor, three uh, A or three and a half on your scale. Uh, Microsoft also realized that the proprietary information inside the Connect is remaining proprietary. The people, the things that the hackers are are doing, basically just use the signals from the Connect. Yeah. They found ways to use to write software for and use the signals from the Connect, and they're not actually getting into the stuff that's truly proprietary about the Connect. And so Microsoft went. Well, we're really there's nothing to be afraid of. Yeah, um, which is very cool. It's not like it's not like hackers are trying to 
create a cheaper version of the Connect no. and sell that or reverse engineer it. Yeah, yeah, they're not they're not doing that. But let's talk about the stuff that they are doing. Uh, with it. There's so many amazing things, all uh, kinds of things. So they they fall into to general broad categories usually. Uh, there, there are quite a few that fit into uh, various. Uh, broad categorizations like user interfaces would be one. Mm-hmm. You know, being using the Connect in various ways as a user interface, uh, which is not a big surprise. I mean, that's the original intended use of the Connect. It's a user interface for the Xbox 360, but there are people who have designed it to be a user interface for lots of other stuff. Everything from uh, a uh, a computer where you're just using gesture controls and voice controls to interact with a computer to Robotics. Uh, I showed a video to Chris and uh, our producer Tyler just before we went live on this podcast talking about a project that created a robotic trash can. And it was a very clever approach. And, and it wasn't, it was using a connect in a way I just did not, it didn't occur to me. It, uh, Actually, it mirrors what happened with the Microsoft Connect um, in that uh, people saw a challenge and they rose to meet the challenge. It was a uh, based off a, a commercial for what gum mints or mints. Yes. Okay, it was and, a mint uh, commercial that uh, the idea being that it shows a guy at a typewriter and a typewriter. Kids, ask your parents. Uh, it shows a guy <laughs> at a typewriter and pulling out a sheet of paper from the typewriter and crumpling it up and throwing it behind his back and uh, does a, does this a couple. Of times he's and working on a project and he's just coming up with drafts that, that don't match with his expectations. So each one he pulls out and throws away, and then he then he takes he's very inaccurate. Right, right. So it, yeah, it cuts behind him and there's just all the, these little crumpled pieces of paper on the floor. Yeah. Then he eats a couple of mints, crumples up the next piece of paper, throws it behind him, and then the trash can moves to intercept where the the paper is coming from and catches the paper, right? Yeah, it says uh, it'll make you the mints will make you sharper. Actually, it seems like they should he's apparently been feeding the mints, mints to, to the, the trash, trash can. can. But yeah, anyway, so so some cute commercial. Some uh some some robotics and uh computer scientist types decided to try and recreate that moving trash can. So they built a robotic base that had three wheels on it that would allow the the base to move in any given direction at a pretty good clip as, as the video shows yeah then they built a essentially a trash can chassis that fits over that so you, so it disguises the fact that there's this base with wheels on it you just from a casual glance it looks like a trash can that goes all the way to the floor yeah but there's it, actually just a little bit of clearance so that the wheels can move around yes yes they obviously uh, were very careful in their measurements yeah because yeah. It, it fits directly over the robot base and you cannot tell just from glan- a casual glance that there's a, a robot inside the trash can. Yeah. And I'm assuming they probably made a, a false bottom, too, to cover the robot. Yeah, they didn't yeah. show that part. But yeah, they, they, they did show that they were actually machining these parts. Yes. Like, they were using it's routers. custom built. And, yeah. So... Uh, the the remote control aspect they hooked up to a computer and they wrote some software and they used a Connect sensor. They mounted it to the wall. So what the Connect sensor does is it essentially makes a 3D map of the room, mm-hmm. right? Right. So it's able to detect depth and and direction and movement. And what they did was they created a program so that when you tossed any small object through this space. 
the Kinect would detect the arc of that particular object and plot out where it was going to land, send a command to this robotic trash can, which would intercept that path and catch the object. So this has to happen really fast. Yeah. It has to detect the arc, plot it out its course, send the information to the robot, and the robot has to have time to move to the right location to catch it. And we were watching the video. It's probably, on average, the trash can's probably moving three or four feet, right? Maybe three feet. Let's yeah. let's say three. About a meter. Yeah. So it's um, but it's still pretty impressive to to watch them toss various objects into the air, and the trash can moves to intercept and catch it. And you think, well, that's kind of a ridiculous use of the connect. I mean, but it shows that the 3D mapping technology uh, within this device can be used for some really, really creative uh, uh, projects. And there, I've al- already shared the video of this trash can uh, on our Facebook page, but I'll, I'll be sure to tweet it out too uh, so you guys can – you may have already seen it. But uh, I just was so amused at that particular use of the Connect. We have a bit more to say about the Microsoft Connect and how it works, but first let's go and take a quick break to thank our sponsor. These robotics engineers have built this robotics trash can, a robotic trash can, for fun to meet a challenge that they perceived. It wasn't even a real challenge. It was a perceived challenge of doing this because they saw it on the commercial and thought it was cool. Yeah, at least right. that, that's what we can guess. We don't read the uh, – it's it's produced out of Asia, and neither of us read the language that they wrote everything down in. But that's what we <laughs> – yeah. that's our interpretation. Yeah, yeah. So – and okay. So they've they've – it's proof of concept, if you will. Uh-huh. It can be done. Yeah. But what if you had a, a real challenge? You had somebody who uh, needed help. Uh, for example, um, they were suffering from dementia or uh, some kind of physical impairment that kept them from interacting with their world in a way that, that uh, you know, the typical person would. Mm-hmm. So let's say uh, they have this uh, a chair based on this technology and somebody who might have trouble sitting down. And the chair moves slightly to the left to make sure that they're going to sit squarely in the chair instead of missing it and hitting the floor and needing assistance getting up. Sure. You could in, you could use the, the, the technology developed by Microsoft, the, the Connect, to and, and this the software and the technology developed by these guys apparently just playing around and use it for something practical in the real world. Yep. So, I, and I, honestly, I'm just messing around in the top of my head as you were describing that. I was thinking, yeah, it, it could be silly, but it could be used for something really useful. Yeah, yeah. And that's just something I, you know. Well, and and there's there are plenty of other examples cool. of of this being a user interface. For example, like the the one that I talked about earlier, where you're navigating a computer system using uh, uh, gestures, kind of like uh, the old uh, uh, Minority Report. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, approach. Except instead of it being projected in front of you, it's you know it's on a screen, but you're you're moving your hands to to gesture control whatever it is you're looking at. Yeah, um, that's a you know, and and of course that's something that Microsoft itself has talked about the possibility uh, that we, you know we would see the, a Connect like sensor being built into computers in the future, and ver- versions of Windows would support that. And if you look at something like Windows 8, it's not hard to imagine that just based yeah. on the the Metro layout that they have and it um, and it does already work on computers you can mm-hmm. use the connect for computer gaming as well as for the xbox 360 so it's 
you know, oh, hey, we're getting close to that word that you haven't used in quite some time. Yeah, there's a, another cool use of a connect I saw was the gestural spatial mixer. Did you see this? The gestural spatial, spatial mixer. mixer. Mixer, yeah. It's a student. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get the information about his name because the uh, the blog I was looking at didn't didn't list it. But it was this uh, graduate student who had designed a program where you could play multiple tracks for uh, let's say let's say, let's say you've created a a music track and it's got various channels okay in it okay yeah. and then, and you've got a multi speaker setup so he was using i think an array of speakers where there's something like 6 of them he had it uh, a con- a connect hack where he had designed the software and he was using the connect to manipulate the music so that you could isolate channels so you, if you just wanted to listen to one uh, channel within that entire music track, you could. Yeah. You could even move that channel from one speaker to another. Mm-hmm. So let's say that, you know, I just want this to come from the left side. I'm going to move it to the, the two speakers furthest to the left, and it's going to not even be on the four speakers on the right. Uh, you could do that. And you could change the volume, and you could make it sound like it was. Uh, the music was coming from nearby or far away. It would add in extra effects for that kind of stuff. Near. So he was in here far. far. So he was doing all of this in real time, just mm-hmm. manipulating the music physically. So it's almost like being the conductor of an orchestra, except, of course, you know that certain things would always play out the same way. He wasn't affecting the um, the speed of the playback or anything like that, but volume and some other effects as well as where the music appeared. He had that all in his demo. Yeah. Also, and, the uh, flutes are more likely to be in tune. Ooh, um, sorry. You know, that wasn't very nice. Whatever. You're, you're um, a drummer. You cannot make jokes about other musicians. I'm sorry. What? I was drooling on something. <laughs> uh, anyway... Yes, I can. We all make jokes about one another. Okay. Uh, anyhow, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the idea of being able to do that is, is fascinating. I've seen, uh, quite a lot of, of those kinds of things, but they're typically done with infrared light or you break a light beam to make that happen. Yeah. And, uh, the and idea of using the connect for that purpose. Yeah. And the, and the light beam stuff cool. tends to be a lot more limited. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have the versatility that you would with a connect. Uh, there was, we actually have an article about some connect hacks, uh, as well as an article about how the connect itself works. So you should go to howstuffworks.com if you want more information. The article on how the connect works is helpful and the, Hacks are kind of fun, too. One of the ones mentioned uh, talks about um, – uh, well, this this isn't actually in our article. This is one of the other ones I discovered was a, a, a connect hack that was hooked up to uh, Tesla coils. Actually, I think this one is in our article. Oh, okay. um, and the Tesla coils, if you don't know, these are things that create high-voltage electrical currents. You could change the frequency of those currents. And um, – it's this sparking thing that you often see in old science fiction movies that is a standard part of a mad scientist layer. Yeah, it's not the Jacob's Ladder. No. <laughs> but it's, I know, but that, I don't have is, a sound effect for a yeah, Tesla I was going to say, zzzp, that's more of a Jacob's Ladder sound. Yes, it is. Um, but no, the Tesla coils, it's this, uh, you know, this massive thing. It can be a massive thing that shoots out deadly sparks. Um, you don't want to get hit by them. No. Uh, we've, we've seen... Groups like Architac that use Tesla coils to create music. Well, at Maker Faire uh, 2011 in the UK, 
a, a guy named Tom Wyatt headed up a team where they showed off a connect that they hooked up to Tesla coils and they used the motions that they would that the, the connect would pick up motions that Wyatt and his team would make and translate that into different voltage frequencies for the Tesla coil. So you can make the Tesla coil emit electricity at different frequencies, which actually has a different sound to it. That's how Architect makes music with these things. They program in specific frequencies so that they can create tones. Mm-hmm. So one of my favorites is they use it to create a uh, cover of the uh, Doctor Who theme. Ha! Which is pretty awesome. I've also seen a really good one where they used a special suit they could wear, which allows the person to actually be hit by the uh, the electrical currents without frying. Uh, and they did the Imperial March from Star Wars. So it looks like he's shooting electricity from his hands as the nice. theme is playing. Yeah, it's really subtle. Anyway, um, that was a really cool one. Uh, they... The article also talked about one from the University of Washington that used the Connect when uh, in the use of uh, robotic surgeries. Now, these are surgeries that are not done on robots, but by robots. <laughs> right, right. So, so sometimes that's, that's far more common than it used to be. Yeah, this is when you're, you're this is telesurgery, right? Where the the actual surgeon is in one location and is controlling robotic implements to perform a physical surgery that could be half a world away. Uh, well, the use of the Connect is meant to do things like create a virtual map of where a person's organs are. The idea being that when you're using a robotic tool to cut a person or whatever, whatever the surgical procedure is. Make an incision? Should you, well, that would be one of them, but should you reach, uh, should you start to approach the area of an organ it would send the signal because the connect has mapped this out and it detects that you're getting close to one of those areas, send a signal that would give you some sort of haptic feedback. So you would actually feel uh, a warning saying, hey, you don't want to, you know, you got to be careful because now you're approaching a vital area. Uh, because again, when you don't have, when you're, when you're distanced like that, it's a lot harder to tell, you know, how close you are to something like that. So yeah. uh, that's a pretty interesting use of a connect. You know, something that was used for video games could potentially be used to save lives. Yes, yes, definitely so. Um, you realize that this is uh, actually pretty easy to do. Uh, when you get right down to it, I, I was looking at um, uh, articles about how to hack a, uh, with a connect. And basically, all it requires is a computer and a connect. Yeah. Um, you might need a power supply for the Connect if you're hooking it up to a computer if you don't have one because they don't necessarily come with them if you're buying the one that comes with the the Xbox 360. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know there there there's a wealth of information online and you can look it up in a search engine uh, for uh, Connect hacks and you can find the software that you need. Now, it depends on what you're you're doing with it. Yeah. But there's already uh, some pre-written software available out there uh, by other hackers who uh, have done maybe something very close to what you're planning um, that you might be able to, to get. So it, it uh, you know, there's really not uh, a great big boundary to getting involved with it. Um, there, there are plenty of things like robotics and things like this, but one of the, the um, really cool uh, uh, applications of hacking connect technology I've seen is uh, someone who's using, uh, uh, you know, they're scientists using, the connect to do geographical measurements mm-hmm. on um, on spa- bodies in space and on uh, on glaciers. 
Um, I found an article by Adam Mann um, about uh, Ken Mankoff, who uh, basically was doing scans of uh, of caves using the Connect. Um, now he this is this is one of those times when the Connect's limitations come into play because. Uh, if if the sensor were or sensors in the Connect were more uh, or were designed to scan larger bodies instead of your living room or larger environments, let's say that, um, then he wouldn't have to do quite so many measurements with the Connect. Mm-hmm. But um, he has found that it is far cheaper to buy a Connect for the computer than it would be to rent the sophisticated equipment. A lot of times they use uh, light detection and ranging, which is yep. LIDAR. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can use, uh, you know, they can use these over, uh, va- you know, much longer distances, including miles, you know. But the problem is, um, you know, it costs ten to $200,000 for LIDAR as opposed to 120 bucks for a connect. Now, if you guys have seen the documentary Prometheus, you know about the use of, uh, of LIDAR to map out things like underground caverns where they had these probes go in and use LIDAR to create a, a full virtual map of that environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, of course, is a movie, not a documentary. I make that joke all the time, but just in case you weren't familiar. If you're um, new. But, but yeah, I've seen other uses of this tech for the same sort of purpose, using them for... Uh, uh, rescue robots, essentially, you would send, let's say that you have an environment that is dangerous mm-hmm. and there may or may not be people in that environment or perhaps some other thing that's in that environment that we should really try and get close to, but we don't know the nature of that environment. How dangerous would it be? Uh, sending in a robot that's got a connect that can do this 3D mapping could be very useful because it gives you an idea of what the conditions are within that environment and whether or not it is wise to send in a human to try and navigate it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that particular use is everything from geology to rescue operations. Younger Jonathan has apparently made the gesture control to put the episode on pause so that we can take a quick break to thank our sponsor. We'll be right back. The article also that I read also um, uh, talked to uh, a scientist named Neor Mavshovitz, who wants to put, uh, you know, devices, maybe not necessarily the Connect, but devices like the Connect, on uh, on space exploration robots and have them fly in close to asteroids to do a map of the surface. Sure. Um, yeah. The applications for this device have really spawned. Uh, Quite a lot of speculation and interest among the hacker community, among and among serious thinkers. Yeah, not not that the two two worlds don't converge. Well, no, they not necessarily, but I mean, people. uh, Yeah, I mean, people who are doing this just for fun, and people who are doing this for very serious reasons, or or both. Um, and I'm sure they inspire one another. And I'm sure that when, uh, I mean, based on on what the, the limitations of the Connect and, and what it can't do, it wasn't intended to do these things. But wow, you know, yeah. you really you really just didn't anticipate this coming. And it's great that it has. I, I have a couple of others I want to just uh, sure, really sure. quickly yeah, mention. Please. So one of them is uh, Second Story Labs. 
mm-hmm. they have started to use the Kinect. You know, Kinect has evolved as well. Like the firmware has evolved over time. Microsoft built in some facial tracking capabilities yeah. that were updated to the Kinect. So uh, the original Kinect wasn't as good at it, but now it's gotten much better where it can track a person's face. In fact, that's caused some people a little bit of concern. But well, sure. But Second Story Labs, what they did was they took this capability and they used it for an interface where uh, they can create the illusion of a holographic display. Illusion. Yeah. So you've got – imagine that you've got a, a, a glass window in front of you. Mm-hmm. And to you, it looks like a three-dimensional image is floating behind that glass. Right. And, and as you move your head, you can see the different parts of the uh, of the image. Well – What's actually happening uh, with Second Story Labs' uh, approach is they're using the Kinect to track your facial movements. Yeah. So that as you move, it can display a different. Uh, it, it can ma- it can alter the appearance of whatever the display is showing, so that it would show you the angle. Like what would happen if you were actually looking at an object from that angle. Mm-hmm. So in other words, it's not a true hologram. It's still a, it's still a two-dimensional image, but it's adjusting on the fly as you move around so that it looks like a three-dimensional image. So to your brain, it might as well be three-dimensional, which I think is a really creative way of getting around this whole glasses-free 3D thing. Yep, and um, it could also, and I imagine it will. You know, we were talking about uh, um, a Minority Report earlier, mm-hmm. and in in the movie – uh, you know, they're walking around in interactive environments where people are talking specifically to you uh, about things that they know about you. Um, maybe not necessarily that. Again, you were talking about the facial recognition. They could do that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, you might start seeing um, shopping environments that are that start talking to you. Um you know, yeah, they can, they say, uh, oh, here, well, you know, there are some displays that you walk by now and there are motion sensors in the display, but it's right there at the display. You can make an entire environment that knows where a person is. And they say, oh, I see you're looking at the computers. Well, yeah. we have these. They've got these processors. Or you might have a uh, an automated uh, salesperson talking to you about the benefits of one model over another because they know you're standing right in front of those. Or you might just use them to help design better uh Storefronts, like yes. imagine, imagine having a window on a on a street, you know, sidewalk. You're you're walking down the sidewalk. You're looking into a display window. You could just as easily use a Connect if it had if it had sophisticated enough tracking uh, capabilities where it can actually track where you are looking. Yeah. And you could say, all right, well, we tested out this one display using this particular layout. Yeah. And this is where people were looking. And that's not what we wanted them to look at. We really wanted to, to feature this other thing. So then we did the display a different way like this, and everyone was looking where we wanted them to. So that's the way we need to do it in order to promote whatever it is we're selling. Mm-hmm. That's just one simple way of that could be used. Uh, a Connect could be used in the future. Um, another cool hack that I thought was actually really, really Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it has some really the 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 experiment is interesting. The pot- potential applications are pretty phenomenal. Uh, Alex Brown and Brian Brown, they work together to create a virtual realm that would allow you to interact with virtual objects that could, in turn, control actual physical objects in your real environment around you. Huh. So what they did was they used a programmable automation controller. 
uh, and they had this programmable automation controller panel that had switches on it, and when you turned on one switch, an LED would come on. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you hit the, the switch next to it, the LED would go off. So there was a physical switch that would turn that LED on or off. Okay. Okay? So then they built a virtual representation of this console in a virtual environment. And by virtually touching the switch, it would cause the physical LED on the real console to come on. Right. And then by touching the other switch, it would make the light go back off. So it's just like you're touching the physical controls, but you're doing it in the virtual realm. Weird. Now, imagine, let's say that you've created a, a uh, entertainment complex, okay? okay? Yeah. That is a virtual reality entertainment complex. So you, Chris, go into this virtual reality entertainment complex, and you are able to interact with this virtual environment. And as you interact in the virtual environment, physical things happen as a result of your virtual actions. Okay. So let's say it's a role-playing game and you are playing in a really, uh, 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 you're, you're in the Arctic and you're inside uh, a room when you first start, but you decide to go outside. When you go okay. outside, by opening the door, it activates a fan system that blows very cold air on you so that you yeah. get the sensation. So it creates that tactile, immersive environment. That's just one example of a potential application of this sort of technology. A lot of other ones would have nothing to do with entertainment. They'd be much more practical yeah. than you know just giving us a, a bit of a thrill as we play a game. But I thought that was really neat, the idea of impacting your physical world through your virtual actions. Yeah. See, it's that, that marriage of the physical and virtual that I find so fascinating. And again, that's one of the reasons why I like augmented reality so much, yeah. is that idea that bringing those two worlds closer and closer together until we get to the point where you, you know, if you don't like how your day is going, you just hit Control-Alt-Delete. Yeah. Uh, but, but the Kinect's also been used in lots of other uh, applications, things like digital puppetry, where people have built a digital character that they could manipulate by doing motion controls and some of them are very much like puppetry like you you have the digital version of a sock puppet yeah. someone holds up their hand and moves their hand and then the sock puppet reacts in a very similar way um it's got no strings yeah to hold it down it's just virtual strings yeah it's pretty interesting and then i've even seen stuff where people have added in special effects on top of whatever their actions are in real time. So remember, the Kinect also has a color camera in it. Mm-hmm. So it's not just this depth sensor. It's also a way of either streaming or even recording uh, video, depending on what you're doing and how, you know what you have the Kinect hooked up to. Yeah. So let's say you're streaming video on a big screen, and it's capturing whatever you're doing in front of the Kinect, and you're holding a um, uh, like a, a, a plain dowel. Okay. Right? Yeah. But you've created this program that overlays a an effect on top of that dowel. So now it looks like on the screen you're wielding a lightsaber from Star Wars. Right. And as you as you move around, the video version of you is swinging a lightsaber even though the real version of you is swinging a dowel on the screen it's a lightsaber. Right. You know, that's something that I that was one of the first applications I saw actually, one of the first hacks. Yeah. Well, it's uh not completely unlike what they actually did in the movies. Yeah, it's just all done in real time as opposed to post-production. That's what's amazing is that it's I know, done I know. 
right then. Yeah. You know, because fascinating. I've seen I've seen people who have created their own Star Wars type videos mm-hmm. where they've gone in and they've used some pretty sophisticated post-production video software right. to go in and paint an object, right, within the software and say, anytime you see this object, overlay this effect on top of it, right. which is really sophisticated, and it tends to be way faster than the old way. Mm-hmm. But this is even faster. It's essentially instantaneous, which to me is phenomenal. So anyway, there are so many other hacks out there. If you just do a search online for Connect Hacks, you are going to find blogs and articles and yes. videos about amazing stuff people are doing with this basic piece of video game hardware. Yeah, if you uh if you've done any yourself, please let us know. We'd love to hear about it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, if you got if you've got any information about Connect Hacks you've done or any videos or whatever, send it send links our way because, you know, we'll We'll be glad to take a look at it, and who knows? Maybe we'll be able to post them up on Facebook and and yeah. create a, even a gallery of of things that people have done. And that wraps up our discussion about the Connect. And as I was saying earlier, uh, since 2012, the Connect has pretty much gone bye bye. No one really talks about it anymore. No one's really developing for it anymore. Uh, and part of the reason for its failure was largely because there was a a, a an apparent lack of compelling content for the Kinect. There was uh, initial interest in developing for it, and then it just kind of fell off. The challenges for developing for the platform were probably too great for the returns that were being seen. And there were a lot of games that kind of gave the Kinect a bad name, games that gamers just didn't really, and I hate to use this word, connect with. And so it really just kind of floundered. Uh, It's also a shame that while it did very well in hacking circles for a while, Microsoft made some moves that made it harder for hackers to use the Kinect. And they were creating all sorts of really cool uh, implementations of the Kinect sensors and using them for things like machine vision. And uh, it was really compelling stuff. So it's kind of a shame that that fell apart too. But it also shows that Often the hacking community will take stuff that was intended for one purpose and then repurpose it for something else and make something really incredible out of it. If you guys have suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, send me an email. The address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com or you can pop on over to our website. That's techstuffpodcast.com. There you're going to find an archive of all of our episodes, including these classics. You'll also find links to our presence on various social media platforms. You will find a link to our online store where every purchase you make goes to help the show, and we greatly appreciate it. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.